Welcome to the Kinky Cast, a sexually explicit podcast. If you are under 18 years of age, stop the podcast now. You are listening to a weekly publication, produced every Friday morning. The Kinky Cast is heard in over 150 countries. This week's episode is number 223. In our weekly exploration in the kinky world of BDSM and alternative relationships, Views expressed are not representative of the management of the kinky cast. We welcome guests with opposing viewpoints. Today, we present Trinity on a year of living uncomfortably. Don't forget to stop by our webpage for loads of information about this show and others. KinkyCast.com. Here's your hosts, Woody and the Beast. Thanks, Max, and welcome to another edition of the Kinky Cast. Sitting next to me is the Beast. Hey, Woody, I'm not even going to chat or do anything silly. We got a great guest tonight. You're not going to chat? No, no, no. Oh, important things. Okay. We got a great guest tonight. Well, tell me about your great guest. Trinity, author, editor, educator, all around marvelous person. Able to leave tall buildings in a single bound. She don't even need a single bound. Don't set me up for that. (laughs) Hi, Trinity. Hey, how you guys doing? Welcome to the cast. Thank you. So you've got some stuff coming up here really quick. You're going to be at Frolicon. I am in just a little while. And you've got classes that you're doing. Tell us about the classes you're doing. Okay. For uh, Frolicon, I'm doing, well, I am the director of the writer's track at Frolicon. I am on a panel there and I'm also teaching a class. The panel I'm on is Editors Tell All because I've been in the publishing industry for about 10 years in an editorial capacity. So there's a bunch of us up there talking about all the things that, you know, will help writers to get published or to publish themselves. And then uh, the second class I'm doing for the ink track is manuscript corsetry, tighten up that story. It's all about revision. Oh, I like, I like that title. I do too. I come up with like one good title of year because I'm really bad at doing titles and that's mine. That was mine for the year I, I started teaching this. So do you arrive in costume to drive home the point? Do I arrive in costume? Oh, do I wear a corset? I don't know. It depends on my mood. Sometimes I do. I have. Okay. Well, <laughs> it depends on my mood. All things depends possible. on whether I feel corsety that day. <laughs> uh huh. And then the third one. The third one is for the kink track, and it's called The Year of Living Uncomfortably. Now, we are going to go deep into this one tonight. When I read your writing about this, it really set me off. I'm going, what is a year of living uncomfortably? Hmm. Hmm. And so that's when I reached out to you and said, hey, let's talk about it. But before we get into that, mm-hmm. so how long have you been in the scene? I started exploring online in the early 90s, and then I came out into the Atlanta community in about 97-ish, 97, 98. You've been around a while. I have for a minute or two. Mm -hmm. That's a funny story how I came out. How'd you come out? So one of the classes that I teach is called To Newbie With Love. I'm teaching that at Test Fest this year in July up in uh, the New York, New Jersey area. That writing is about, not about a BDSM 101, I promise I'm coming to the point. It's not a BDSM 101, it's about coming out into the community and what to expect and what not to expect. And one of the things that I talk about is that we don't really have leaders. Some organizations, some groups have a board or something like that. So that group has leaders. But as a whole, our community doesn't have appointed leaders. And a lot of people look at at different people who organize things as leaders of the community, but that's not necessarily true. When I moved to the uh, I was getting ready to move from Athens, Georgia into the Atlanta area 
And I'd been back then we didn't have FetLife. We had Yahoo groups. Oh yes. <sighs> so I had been lurking on this group for quite a while and I put out a post. I was very shy back then and very quiet. And um I put out a I put out a post and said, Hey, I'm gonna be moving to the Atlanta area soon. I'll be in the Cobb area. Is there a munch in that area? Now currently in Atlanta there are over thirty munches every month. Back then there were two. There was the DeCab Munch and there was the Buckhead Lunch Munch, which is still going today and run by the same old perv it was run by back then. So I waited about a week and I didn't hear anything. And so I replied to my message and I said, Hey, I'm, I'm not sure I really like I, if anybody responded, I missed it. Does anybody know if there's a Cobb Munch? And somebody responded and said, apparently not. Why don't you start one? <laughs> okay. Both feet <laughs> in. Got it. That's exactly what I said. So I said, all right, I will start a munch. And I started the Cobb, what I called the Cobb Dinner Munch. The Cobb Munch is still going on here in Atlanta. It is the second longest running munch in the city. But that is a story that I tell when I talk about don't look at munch organizers as necessarily leaders. <laughs> because because I organized a munch as my first step out into the public community. Now, as an author that titles things, you missed the perfect title, the Cobb Salad Munch. <laughs> oh. Except I wanted it in the evening. Oh, well, okay, fine. <laughs> that would not work. So, so you're, uh, you, you, you claim to not be a leader, but you've been leading a lot of people for a long time in, in your writings and in your things. People respect you as a leader. Thank you. I, I think that I think that in communities, leaders are not often the ones who are the ones speaking the loudest and the ones rattling their cages. Very I true. Think, I think that when people come out into any community, not just the kink community, but any community, that they need to just watch and pay attention and listen and talk to people because the people that you might necessarily see at the front of the room may not actually be the leaders if that makes sense. The leaders are the ones that ask questions, not give answers. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. So let's uh, dig along here a little bit further. Um, a year of living uncomfortably. <laughs> okay, first off, why a year? And how uncomfortable was it? Or is it? It is often very uncomfortable. So um, a year was just an arbitrary, an arbitrary time span. I feel like um, when I, when I actually coined, I started this in January, 2010, but when I actually coined the phrase, it was in June of that year. So half the year had already gone by. And, and whenever you're doing something difficult, it's always good to feel like there's an end. <laughs> so I committed to, all right, I'll do this to the end of the year and then we'll see what happens. So that's why a year and it's uncomfortable in different ways at different times for different reasons. The, the specific thing about the year of living uncomfortably, you know, isn't about often people say, Oh, I've been living uncomfortably for years. And it's like, okay, so tell me about that. And it's all about, you know, um, I lost my job and I, you know, I went through a divorce and all these things, which are yes, very uncomfortable and very difficult, but that's life. Right. The thing about the year of living uncomfortably, it's about choosing to put yourself in uncomfortable situations with the with the the purpose of growing as a person, of becoming 
the person that you envision yourself to be. And that is really what the year of living uncomfortably is about. Okay, let's get some examples going. Okay, so when I started the year of living uncomfortably, I had uh, about a year prior, I'd come out of an emotionally abusive master-slave dynamic. And some months after that, I had gone into a DS dynamic with a lovely gentleman. And I was so gun-shy, like my little S-type inside of me was so hurt and so in hiding that relationship, the DS dynamic relationship lasted about eight months for the first four months of that. I wouldn't even put a name to it. I was calling it this thing that we're doing, whatever that is. (laughs) So when that ended in January of 2010, I thought I don't have a boss of me anymore. I don't have to decide what I'm going to do based on what they like or don't like, or what they want to do or don't want to do, or what they tell me what we're going to do or not going to do. So I decided to just allow myself to do what I wanted, to explore in a way I wanted to and to do things that maybe I hadn't done in a long time. Um, but what I found is that in doing that, the things I wanted to do made me run smack head on into a whole bunch of shit that I was carrying around with me. Um, I grew up a fat girl and I have all all of the issues that fat girls have. Well, not all fat girls, because I know a lot of fat girls that I would have loved to have been like. Um, But I was incredibly self-conscious. I had terrible self-esteem. I have excellent self-worth, but terrible self-esteem. And so a lot of this was, it was things like, I love fire. I mean, I love fire. I love fire. Fire is my friend. But, you know, when you do fire play, it's pretty well recommended that you, you know, take off your clothes. Holly, Holly recommend it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, you know, generally the best practice. Well, you know, when you think your body is just like the most horrid thing anybody could ever gaze upon, that's a big thing to face. So, so doing things like that, taking off my clothes, or, you know, in other ways, you know, facing the things that are problematic in my head. Those are, those are the uncomfortable moments. And I do, I, I choose those deliberately. Like, I know that that's going to be a thing I have to face. So in the moment, I have to decide whether I'm strong enough mentally to do that thing right now. And sometimes I'm not. And that's okay. You know, if I'm not, I choose, okay, I'm not going to do that this time. But it isn't that I'm never going to do it. It's that this time I'm not okay with it yet. So how did that go that first time when you had to take your clothes off? <sighs> it was actually uh, it was actually pretty freaky. I was actually uh, at a we used to have an event in in Georgia called Duckstock, and it was like it was kinky camping. So there was this giant like something like nine thousand square foot barn that was the dungeon and stuff. So. Uh, a, a play partner of mine at the time was doing fire play on some other people. And I won't go into like how it like was arranged, but I decided I was going to do that. And so I, but I, only on the top, like only on the top half. So I didn't have to take any of the bottom half off, but I took off my shirt and I took off my bra and I'm standing there with my hands crossed over my boobs because nobody's ever seen boobs before. So, uh, so he lay, he gets me up on the table and it, 
it was a rack. They actually had a rack. So it had like, uh, cuffs at the bottom and it was like something like eight feet long. And at the other end was like a, uh, what do you call those things? Yeah, with yeah, a little the, turning? The crank. Yeah. Yeah. A crank. And, um, but he wasn't gonna, he was just, he wasn't gonna crank me, but he was just gonna attach me. But he did my feet first and a whole bunch of my friends, like, were kind of around as, like, moral support, which was also completely embarrassing to me. But, like, I appreciated that they were there. And so, uh, I'm laying there on the, on this table as he's hooking my feet up and I've got my hands still crossed over my chest and he walks up and he grabs, not grabs, but he take, he puts his hand on one wrist and he says, I need this now. (laughs) And he takes it and he puts it up, you know, like kind of over my head and ties it. Now I'm holding like both boots with (laughs) one arm. And then he walks around the table and he looks at me and he puts his hand on the other one. He said, I need this one now. (laughs) And he lifts it up and there I am in all my glory. And, um, and, and then after it was done, you know, it was like, I had this feeling of having faced down a demon and one. Does that make sense? And you're still here to talk about it. It didn't kill you, you, me. You, oh my God. Yeah. You know, it's amazing. Yes. And, and that's the whole thing. And that's what, when I teach this class, I talk about how, you know, we don't grow when we're comfortable. We stagnate when we're comfortable. It's in discomfort that we grow. It's always like that. So. Well, you know, there's a lot of people that have to take that first step. And I remember uh, so seeing people go to going to for the very first time to a munch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know, oh, my God. These people have, you know, three eyes and 14 hands mm-hmm. and they're going to be all over me. <laughs> and you see it even now on like if you look at novices and newbies, the group on FetLife, there does a week does not go by when the, there's not some question about, you know, how do I get up the courage to go to a munch? The first step in anything uncomfortable or scary, the first time you do it is always the hardest, hands down. After that, like if you can be brave enough, if you can, if you can just gather up your courage and do it that one time, every other time, is easier. They're n- they're never easy. Let me be clear, <laughs> but they're always easier. I remember at the end of a munch, I talked to one of these terrified people, and I said, <laughs> "You see, we're all just kind of normal people here." Mm-hmm. And she said, "I I didn't know what to think, but now you're just like going to a restaurant. <laughs> it, it it is a restaurant, and yeah." <laughs> We're just we like everyone else, except <laughs> we have a, a dirtier mind or something. But then all of a sudden, they could go to munches without the hesitation. Yes. Then the terrified thought of ever going to a public play space. Yes. But then they also have this understanding that their perception of the munch was significantly bigger and worse than what it really was. Right. And so then they can be like, well, okay, well, maybe, maybe it's like that with play parties too. Maybe, you know, when I walk in, people aren't going to like, you know, want to put their hand down my pants or, you know, or, or maybe some people are afraid they won't want to put their hand down. <laughs> <laughs> I may know. go there and get, not, not get touched. Oh my God. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that could be a fear too. I mean, and honestly, that probably is a fear. 
like not necessarily in the touching perspective, but I know as someone I'm pushing 50 now. And I, like I said, I grew up a fat girl and I'm not as fat as I was then, but I'm certainly not skinny, you know, but that's a thing that, that we think about, you know, all these people going out there are, you know, 22 and they're a size zero and they've got perky boobs and, you know, the perfect, you know, uh, measurement ratio and everything. And that's what people often perceive. That's not the truth, but that's yeah, there, there's not a lot of reality with that statement, but right. Exactly. But you know, what do they have to go on? They have to go on like eyes wide shut and you know, that other book and movie that I am not willing to name and, and K and P and K and P exactly, yes. which is just a whole bunch of chicks with their boobs hanging out. Pretty much. Ugh. Yeah. Yes. And, and and so perceptions. First off, we have general media perceptions. Uh, people with clothes on. We, we have then the KNPs and and the and the cinematic movies where everybody has a perfect body. Yep. And then there's us. And um, God <laughs> look knows, like normal, like look like soccer moms, and look like you know, you know, accounter accounting, you know, accountant dads, and you know, and and you know, women who run their own business and, you know, have everything trying to balance, just like we're just normal people. We are. Um, we get into our pants one foot at a time. Yes. You know, I have not, I have not as yet mastered the two feet at a time. I do not have that kind of balance <laughs> and, and, and aim. <laughs> and you say you don't have a cape. I, I have a cloak. Does that count? Is oh. a cloak of, of invisibility? I wish. <laughs> um, so your uh, your your six months stretch first time through on living well, on comfortable. It was a whole year. You, Actually, it was it was three years. Three years. Oh, yes. Um, three years. So you you find a cumulative effect here that the each each time you conquer something, the next thing is a little easier. Yes, that's been my experience, but I think it also depends on like how deep seated it is. For me, the deepest seated demon I have is my weight. Uh, that, that is the thing that informs so much of my outlook and has my whole life. <clears throat> so like that is always the hardest thing for me. Um, you know, for a lot of people, talking to other people is, is really incredibly stressful for them. So that may be things like that may be significantly harder. You know, maybe they do have body image issues. But that's not as scary to them as as having to walk up to a stranger and start a conversation, you know. So I think I think how hard or easy it is depends a lot on how deep seated the discomfort is. But I do find that it's like in business and in life in general, success breeds motivation and success breeds confidence. So if you've continue to face your demons and you know we don't always win right we don't always win but we win most of the time if we try in my experience if we don't try we don't win any of them right exactly that's exactly right oh and 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 i'm sure you had some experiences that it took longer times to process um any any examples of those particularly difficult moments come to mind um there was one time, this was again a duck stock, but it was a, a later year. And, um, I was really in with the rope crowd and we were, you know, I'd done, I'd bottom for suspensions. This was before I was tying. I do more tying now than I do bottoming, but, um, 
I had decided at this, this one that my big year of living uncomfortably thing at duck stock was going to be to be suspended in just a bra and panties. And when it started, it was really, really late. I think Saturday night. And well, one thing was the top who happened to also be the fireplay top from the first year. Um, he, I had arranged with him and, uh, he initially had said, well, let's go out, you know, by the edge of the woods, there's a tree, we can put up a block and tackle and we can do it out there. And it'll be really pretty. And I was like, oh yeah, that's a good idea. And then I thought about it and I was like, well, okay, that kind of defeats the purpose because for me, it's about the public exposure of my body. If I'm in the trees with somebody who is a play partner and his partner, who's my best friend, and, you know, one other person who knows me really well, then it's defeating the purpose. So I I asked him like that night, I said, can we just do it here in the dungeon? And he said, yes. So once we got started, I realized that I was terrified. Like I was freaking myself out in my head so bad. All I could do was keep my mouth shut. Like that was all I could do. Because if I had opened my mouth, I would have stopped it. You know, I had, I had already set the wheels in motion. I'd gotten every, I'd gotten, you know, the train on the tracks and I had freaked myself out so bad about this because it was the most exposed physically that I'd ever been in a public place. And I'd freaked myself out so bad. The only thing I could do was keep my mouth shut. That was the only thing I could do to contribute to the success of my, of my living uncomfortably was just to keep my mouth shut. So that was very, very scary and very difficult. And how did that work out? It worked out well because I was up for probably about 15 minutes and we actually, we took pictures. There are two pictures on my profile. They're friends only because, you know, <laughs> I wasn't quite brave enough. I did actually make one public for quite a while. And then I was like, all right, I'm, 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 I'm done with that one. So we're just going to make that friends only. Um, fortitude. The emotional fortitude, mm-hmm. where do you find that at? That's a good question because I wish it was, I wish it was something easy. I wish it was something that was consistent. I wish I could say, this is what you do and you will consistently have enough fortitude to do this. But I can't because there is no such thing that I've ever found. But if anybody, if any of your listeners have a beat on that, please reach out and tell me. Um, but what I find is that a lot of it is self-knowledge. It's being aware of where I am in at, at any given moment, at, at any given moment, because it comes down to my own strength. Right. And it also comes down to forgiving myself if I if I feel like I'm not strong enough. And I think that's really important as well. But really, if if I'm assessing myself and, you know, if there's a, a huge amount of stress in my life in that time. I'm not going to have, I'm just not going to have it. I'm not going to have the spoons for it. Right. So I allow myself to not be strong because that's okay. So I I don't, I don't know. I don't know where to get it. (laughs) So, so this is basically, uh, self, self self-awareness is an important skill for what we do, but this is applied Mm self-awareness. Yes. I would agree with that a hundred percent. Because I think it's, I mean, and for me, that's one of, that's one of my goals in my life is to figure my shit out. Because if, because if I don't know, nobody else is going to know, right? <laughs> so, so, um, I try to really, I try really hard to try to figure myself out because I can't, 
become the person I want to be until I know the person I am, because I can't, I can't plot a course until I know what the beginning point is. Stuff makes sense in my head, and sometimes it doesn't survive the exit from my mouth. You're offering up this class in a couple Mm -hmm. of days. Mm -hmm. What kind of experience can the participants, attendees, expect? Well, I talk a lot about my own journey, and I give examples. And then I really encourage people to examine themselves, you know, and, and think about where they want to be and where they are now and how to get there. So we talk a little bit about that. So much about this class depends entirely on who's there. So that's a really hard question to answer. Um, I've had situations where I've done most of the talking. I've had situations where people have shared. I taught this class. The first time I taught this class was the second duck stock after I started the year of living uncomfortably, they asked me to teach it. I didn't even have a class for it. And they were like, would you be willing to teach that? And I was like, I guess. So when I was there, it was in this small little area. And, you know, there were about eight of us there at the time. And, you know, and I'm like, all right, so good. Cause this is a small class. Cause I don't really know what I'm doing. So, but as like, as I waited until the start time, more and more people came and we had like 35 or 40 people down there. And so what I found there is that so many people, because I had been so transparent with what I was doing, because you can read on FetLife, it's all public. You can read about everything I experienced that I, that I wrote down about the year of living uncomfortably from the time I started all the way up to the current one. Um, there's a couple year gap in between, but, but I found that because I was so transparent and open, so many people shared their stories of how they had faced things that like one woman had actually quit a job she hated and like rearranged her life so that she could work a job that she loved. And I was just like so flabbergasted. And so we talked a lot about how to do those things and about fortitude. Fortitude is always a big topic in all of the, all, every time I've taught this class. So, 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 you know, I like to say what could be expected, but really it's kind of a free for all. (laughs) (laughs) But everybody has different levels of entry and everybody will have Mm -hmm. different levels of exit from this. And, you know, we're all just human beings and we all have our own full set of insecurities. Oh, of course. Yes. And and so we got to pick a starting point and it is one after another. Mm -hmm. Just knock that target down and you go on to the next one. Mm-hmm. If we did that every day the rest of our life, we would be the most secure yeah. person on the planet. But we can't do that. We can't do that every day of our lives. You're right. You know? And <laughs> one of the analogies I make is that, you know, when you go, go on a road trip and you travel, you know, maybe you just get in your car and you drive and you stop at a place. You're not meant to to just keep going. You stop. You enjoy the sights. You spend some time with the locals, maybe, or whatever. You know, we're not made to always be changing. Doing all this work to make these changes, it's acceptable. It's encouraged. Like, we should take the time to enjoy. Enjoy how far we've come and 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 what we've done. Trust me, the universe will let you know when it's time to start moving again. So there is something to be said for the space of being comfortable. Absolutely. Yes. You sh- Without comfort, we won't, we wouldn't know what discomfort was, right? You know, but it's important to, to take time to, you know, just 
be and to settle and to enjoy your life in that moment. Um, my first year of living uncomfortably kind of tapered out in about 2013. Okay, so I say first year, but it was, you know, like two and a half years, almost three years. It sort of tapered out because what I realized is that I had done everything I could at that moment, at that time, and it felt like any additional things I would do that were like year of living uncomfortably sort of material, I would be doing because it was year of living uncomfortably material, not because I was trying to move in a certain direction. So it kind of became superfluous. Self-fulfilling at some point. Well, and and it, it became about the year of living uncomfortably rather than the, the year of living uncomfortably being the car to take me to the place. The year of living uncomfortably became the place. And that felt not right to me. That didn't feel right. So I said, okay, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'm just going to stay here for a while. And I ended up staying there for quite a while, but mainly because I had a, I had some family stuff happen in 2016. I was caregiver for my grandmother who had broken her neck. And so like that whole year was out. And then uh, she passed away right before Christmas and 2017 because she lived in Tennessee. I was dividing my time between Atlanta and Tennessee to help care for her. And so pretty much, you know, when you're not tending your garden, it kind of goes to weeds. So kind of a lot of the stuff in my life, a lot of the connections and, and things that I was used to kind of had fallen away because I was gone. Right. So 2017 was about the, the whole first two thirds of it was about getting my life back together and figuring out what I wanted to do and that sort of thing. And then the universe decided I was, it was time to do the year of living uncomfortably again. <laughs> This is an interesting program, and I'll call it program because it's a <laughs> like Tony Robbins. This could be the novice entering the scene. This mm -hmm. could be used for growth. It could be used for renewal. Yes, absolutely. It can be used for whatever whatever you need it to be used for. So it's somewhere between a maintenance plan and a and a home improvement. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> And, and the, the thing is, you know, I, I God knows I, I own a house and so I do enough home improvement. If I don't sit back and enjoy the house, if I just right. constantly work on it, I'm going to hate the place. Yes. Yes. That's that's an excellent way to look at it, I think, because that's exactly what's going to happen. If you're always doing this really difficult work, and number one, you're going to end up like feeling crappy. Like you're just because it's so much work. And you're going to be exhausted all the time. I mean, think about it. If you were always every single hour you had off of your regular job, if you were working on your doing labor on your house, you would never rest. You would never get, you would be exhausted. This is no different. Personal maintenance. Mm -hmm. I really like the idea. And you know, the, all these uh, self-help programs that are out there and, you know, go out and uh, meet somebody new, say hello to somebody that you dislike to find out why you dislike them, all, all these sorts of things. Mm -hmm. It's all fine in doses. I've done that. I, I was at a party the other night and I forced myself to go out and say hello to people that I didn't particularly care for. Oh. And I kept finding myself putting them in categories, but I had to go up and break that down and maybe they weren't in that category. Maybe there was a lot more to them than what I thought they mm -hmm. were. And I think so, but I had to force myself to do it. It was not a comfortable thing. No, because mm -mm. we always like to think we're right in our opinions. Well, of course, we're always <laughs> right. I, I know I'm. I'm always right. 
I'm always it's right. funny how my partners tell me I'm not, but yeah, I was, I was just going to say, until so my owner dude tells me I'm wrong and then apparently I'm wrong. <laughs> so, well, at any rate, Trinity, I'm going to see you here very shortly in beautiful Atlanta at Frolicon and oh, I look forward to seeing you. And you have a special offer for our listeners that are going to Frolicon to come by and register to get some special copies of your new book. Tell us about your book. So it's actually a book that was uh, published um, in 2015, but only an ebook. And I have only just finished up getting it ready and getting, as a matter of fact, just like two days ago, I received two proof copies of Callie's game. And it's got a beautiful cover of a lovely woman in rope. And I will have those two copies signed available for your listeners who are at Frolicon to potentially win. How cool is that, guys? So listeners, definitely come by the Kinky Cast table in the fan area and register to win the book. And we'll give it away on Saturday just before the the big night activities. There's so much that is going to happen at Frolicon, especially Trinity's three classes. I also have an event to plug at Frolicon. Oh, Uh, the the ink track, which is the writer's track. We put on an hysterically funny party on Friday night from 730 to 930. And I believe it's in Savannah nine and it's called bedtime stories. And it is the authors reading parts of their work, but there's a twist. We also have prizes and I will have some of these proof copies there too. So you have multiple chances to win these things at this event. Shakira is going to be at that one also. Yes, he absolutely is. And, um, and so what we do is you get a raffle ticket for simply attending, but you can earn additional raffle tickets. If an author either isn't present or doesn't want to read their work, you can get a raffle ticket for volunteering to read. But what most people, how they, how most people earn their extra raffle tickets is by volunteering to act out what's about to be read. Okay. Now and that sounds like fun. Anything. They don't know anything about the scene. They don't know the genders involved. They don't know what gender they're going to be assigned. Um, we had one year, one of our authors wrote a short story specifically for bedtime stories, and it was T-Rex fisting. It was <laughs> so funny. It was like pee your pants funny. It was hysterical. It's so, a good thing T-Rex has short arms, right? Right. And so it was like three T-Rexes and a human. So they're just like, rrr, rrr, rrr. <laughs> Oh, my God. It was so funny. So yeah, we have a really, really good time. It's about two hours and we just, there was something last year we ended up having to do a, do an ad lib last year because we didn't, a lot of authors actually couldn't make it at the last minute. And so there were only a few of us. And so we ended up doing this ad lib and there was something with like avocados. I don't even know. So it's a really good time. Well, definitely. I will be there this year because I want to see this. I have been tipped off to this. (laughs) Sounds great. So, Trinity, thank you so much for joining us tonight. And you have so many things going on. We look forward to hearing from you soon because you got a lot happening. Yeah. And I actually have, um, by the time Frolicon actually comes around on May 15th, I'm going to be releasing a short story and ebook only. It's actually the main characters from the, from Callie's game. And it's her first public scene in the local dungeon there. And so that short story will be available um, on Amazon and the other retailers uh, right before Frolicon. 
And if you want to kind of keep up with the books, it's also a bridge to the second book, which is called Miriam's Caller that I hope to have out around July. If you want to keep an eye on all that, you can go to my website. It's trinitywrites.com slash books, and the books will all be there. And you will have all those links for me so that I can put them yes. on the show page. Yes. And uh, everybody get this new book that, okay, it's not a new book. It's been out in electronic form. Right, but it's newly in print. Newly in print. So either way, get the book. It's awesome. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you, guys. You have been listening to episode 223 of the Kinky Cast. For more information about this show, go to kinkycast.com. The Kinky Cast is a production of Rooster in the Round. On behalf of all our Kinky crew, I'm Max. See you next week when we present Shakir, Rashad, Bothov, Samwa, 